this morning I'm going to give you another sermon from the book of Proverbs. This will be my last one, I think, for quite some time. I was going to preach four, and this is my fifth one. But um, <clears throat> because it's my uh, fifth one, I wanted, I wanted to enter into um, a sermon that talked about fallen human power structures. Um, I, 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 before we get into Proverbs 18, 10 through 11, before we get into those verses, uh, I, I want to give you a quote from something having to do with city life or the city. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was uh, the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch, uh, epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Uh, this, of course, is a famous quote from, uh, that opens up the, uh, Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities. Some of you have uh, probably read that. Or maybe you read it in school. I don't really know. Wow. Yeah, some of you have read that. Uh, two different cities. The cities, of course, are Paris, Paris and London in the 18th century. Dickens lived in the 19th century, but he wrote about about this uh, with, with these two cities is, is the background here in the, uh, in the um, 18th century. Uh, these cities are very powerful, very, very powerful political and social constructs. Uh, if you think about uh, the city of Kalama, you know, we are a great city. We are a great city. We have a, a, uh, a hill. We have a rock I have a good friend in the church who always reminds me that Kalama is one big rock. So we're on solid ground. We have a beautiful school that's being rebuilt or at, uh, whatever they're doing up there. Uh, we, have, uh, we have some good restaurants. We have a burger bar. We have, uh, you know, I do tend to go to the Mexican restaurant quite a bit. We have that. I mean, we have a lot of great things. So Kalama is, is, is this, this wonderful place and uh, I know many of you feel that way. Prestige and power were a strong force in the world. Okay, maybe not. Okay. But as for cities in general, cities in general are places that people, of course, as you know, that people congregate in cities. The U.S. Census Bureau uh, has it this way. It says that U.S. cities are home to 62.7% of the U.S. population, but comprise just 3.5% of land area. I, you know, when I drove across the United States with Luke to go to Kentucky to take him to Asbury University, it's amazing how much vacant land there is in the country. It goes on and on and on. We have a lot more room for cities. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, one little, you kind of got to go up one little, you know, rise, and you look, look, and it's like nothing but land, nothing but land, lots of places, so... Um, for those of you who are attending Thursday nights... Uh, I want you to think about, about how different our world is compared to ancient Israel. Uh, in ancient Israel, uh, almost the entire society was an agrarian society. <clears throat> they had a tribal structure, uh, just something to think about. We talked about that on Thursday night. Yet despite the agrarian nature of the Bible, 
or at least the, the, the uh, people of the Bible, the way that they lived and so forth, despite, despite the agrarian society that they lived in, the Bible recognizes the city. Um, we'll get into that. It uses the image of city to make some pretty important points. So in the Bible, Cain builds a city. You've heard me preach on this before, or at least talk about this before, uh, if you've been around me. In the Bible, in chapter 4 of, of Genesis, right away, right in the very beginning, really the beginning of days, Cain builds a city. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So what do we have there? We have Enoch City, right? Enoch City. It might have been just like a village or whatever, but it's... You know, this is the word in the Hebrew for city is used there, Enoch City. I don't know if Enoch City had a stop, stop sign or a stoplight. I don't know if they had a really nice you know, school up on the hill. That I don't think they had a Mexican restaurant because Mexican culture wasn't around yet. But nevertheless, they must have had a good place to eat somewhere there. Uh, Enoch City. Don't know what they served to eat. But, but notice that it's Cain that builds it. It wasn't someone else in the story. I mean, we could have had uh, the the writer of Genesis could have, you know, could have told us that it was another person down the road or down the geneal genealogical list that built the city. No, there's a reason why it was Cain. Cain built the city. Why is it Cain that built the city? One of the things that the writer is definitely trying to tell us is that there's something in humanity, especially something in fallen human humanity, that wants to gather, wants to congregate. Fallen human humanity. That's what really cities are, right? Cities are really a fallen human constructs. I mean, we live in a great community, Longview, Kelso, great communities. You know, we're all, all these wonderful communities. I don't know whether you live in Woodland, Vancouver, Longview, Kelso, whatever, maybe Newburgh. But this, this, it's, you know, we, we live and exist, most of us, in cities, and they are fallen human constructs. It's really important to, um, to say that. Uh, I've been really faced with the whole fallen human construct thing. Uh, something bad happened yesterday, last night, with my poor Stanford Cardinal. They got destroyed by the Trojans. It doesn't get any worse than that, by the way. Okay? When that ha it just doesn't get any worse than that. Uh, but I was reminded that my college, even my college, much as I love the tree. Even my, even my college is a fallen human construct. And I want you to just realize that. I want you to just recognize that even though the, the faculty does the very best they can up at the school here in Kalama, I'm sure they do. There's some really wonderful teachers up there. It's still a fallen human construct. You notice that the, that the Lord is building a church, right? The church is not a fallen human construct. There is sin in the church, but it is not designed to be a fallen human construct. The book of Genesis story, uh, or the story in the book of Genesis, we see city used not only with Cain building a city in chapter 4, but of course it moves to, the, to chapter 11 where you get, this, get the, uh, the city. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and did I put that up there? Oh, oh yeah, that, that slide. That city serves as the access point by which fallen human Humanity encourages one another to into corporate lies and deception. That's another very important point that I wanted to make. 
Uh, that's what the city is about, right? It's where people congregate, and not only is it fallen, but they encourage one another in their culture, fallen human culture. And fallen human culture is based upon a f- lot of false ideas. Uh, I put up there corporate lies and deception. I think that's really important to note. Now let's take a look at this, this, uh, this city in Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's, there's so much, of, so much good theology right there in terms of understanding humanity. This is what humanity does, right? Humanity is working together to build a city, if you will, a human city, so that the humanity can have a name for itself. Everyone wants to have a name for themselves. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to get into that. But, but uh, I, I, of course, most of you know the story, right, at, at the, about the story of the Tower of Babel, how God comes down and destroys this and gives everyone different languages. God's not really impressed with people, uh, fallen people coming and building themselves something so that they could have a great name. Uh, the Bible's very concerned about this. On the other side of the Bible, we have the book of Revelation. Um, let's take a look at this. This, this is, uh, this is a, a word here in Revelation 14 about another city called Babylon. Um, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal purpose to proclaim those who do, to, to those who dwell on the earth. And by the way, those who dwell on the earth in Revelation are people who are part of the fallen human culture. They're not Christians. It's not just everybody. It's those who are part of the fallen human culture. A gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said when, with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea, and the spring of water. And another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So we talked about Cain's city, Enoch. Now we're talking about Babylon at the end of the Bible. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And what is Babylon? When you study the book of Revelation, Babylon's Rome. Rome with all of its fallen culture, all, all of its influence upon those people. Fallen Rome. And Rome, by the way, was nothing but a, but a civilization of cities. That's where the armies went. That's where they controlled people. In fact, Rome built cities called colonies. A Roman colony was a city that was a military city. That's really what it was. They established colonies throughout the, the empire in order to control the people throughout their empire. Uh, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Fallen, fallen is Rome. If you study Revelation with me in another four or five years, you'll see more of this. Probably not going to do it for a, number, for a number of years since I just finished a year-long study on that book. Um, but that is a very, um, let's see here. There, yes, Rome. Yes, Rome. Okay, so there's also word about, about uh, another, another city known as New Jerusalem. And New Jerusalem comes out of heaven. It is not a fallen human culture. It is a God-constructed uh, culture. And what is that? It's the church. 
New Jerusalem is the church. It's a different kind of city. So you have fallen cities in the Bible, and then you have New Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven. The, the, the point here is that unless the city is God's city, it's nothing more than a fallen human construction. That's the point. Okay? Think about this in our lives. It may not just be about cities. You and I can so easily fall into supporting and be a part of fallen human constructions. There are various social structures that we just buy into, and we receive the lies, we receive the deceit, we fall into it. Our nation is a fallen nation, and there are so many lies and deceptions that are given in this world, in this culture of ours, and we just swallow them up. And we have to be biblical thinkers so that we can recognize when some things are true and some things are false. Because most of the things that we hear today in this world, in this culture that we live in, are false. And they bring us into a particular way of living, living that will bring us down, bring us low. Um, God doesn't want you to think like the world around us. He wants you to think like him. Not in a fallen way, but in a way that, new, like, new, like the citizens of New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. I have much more I could say about that, but I'm going to move on to our verse today, uh, verses today, Proverbs 18, 10 through 11. Let's take, a, let's take a look at this. Let's read this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Uh, taking a closer look at verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now notice right away that I highlighted on the, on the slide here the word tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the Hebrew word is migdal. Um, and that word, migdal, is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, that's a migdal, with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, I think this might be helpful for us to understand a little bit more about this, what's going on in Genesis 11. There's a good possibility, at least there's a, there's a reasonable possibility, that the tower that is being referred to in Genesis 11.4 is a ziggurat. Do you know what a ziggurat is? Do you? Some of you know? Some of you have had that? Yep, I know some of you. Some of you are well-educated. Okay. A ziggurat looks something like that. Okay. It was used in these cities in the ancient Near East. That's this. When I use the, use the phrase ancient Near East, I'm talking about a time period. I'm talking about a place. It's a long time ago in, in what we call the Middle East today. Think Iraq. Think Iraq. A ziggurat was kind of like a center of worship. They constructed it in order to do their thing. You know, if you were a citizen of, of whatever city that would be, <laughs> isn't that terrible? I'm not even can't even come up with a name at the moment for a city. What should we call it? We should call it Ryland City. And if, you, if there you are, and we call it Ryland City out there in the ancient ancient Near East. And Ryland's a pretty good guy and so forth. And a lot of people getting around Ryland and so forth and say, hey, you be our king. And Ryland says, yeah, I'm going to be, I'll, I'll be your king. I'll be your, and it doesn't really work that way, but nevertheless, we'll just pretend. Okay. But we have to have a place of worship. And so, you know what they did up there in the ziggurat? 
This is the way they worshipped, right? They, they had sacrifices. And sometimes they had sexual, sexual acts, right? Because fertility was very, very important in that, in that world. So forth. The ziggurat was like a tower because it, you know, it goes up pretty high. And there's a sense in which, hey, here we go. We're going to build its top to the heavens. Now, we don't really know if what in 11, Genesis 11.4 that it's referring to a ziggurat, but because that's pre-flood. But nevertheless, there's a good possibility that some of the ideas that came from the, from the pre-flood entered into our, our, our fallen world. The fallen world continued to happen. It just may be. But the point is, is that the ziggurat is a place of worship. The tower... And 11.4 is a place of worship. And this is what people do. Following human constructs, following human constructs, people want to worship. They want to find a, a place, an access point where they can be supported in one another, the way that they think, the way they behave, and the way that they live their lives. And so uh, this, the ziggurat uh, may be actually being referred to in 11.4, but we really don't know. Uh, look, at, look at Proverbs 18.10 again. Look at this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Migdal. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Um, the, the one thing that verse 10 is not saying is not saying that the name of the Lord is a ziggurat. I don't want you to get that idea. It's nothing like that. That's just the opposite. That it's in contrast to the culture of the ancient Near East. The name of the Lord, not a ziggurat, not, a, uh, not the temples up in the hills where, where there was this fallen worship going on, this paganism. Not, the, not these places that are a strong tower. It is the name of the Lord that is the strong tower. Um, not a physical structure, not a church building. We know that, right? That we don't worship the building. The church is not a building. It's not a physical structure that brings us into God's presence. Rather, it's our understanding of God. Our biblical understanding of God brings us, with the help of God, of course, brings us into God's presence. Um, of course, I think of the woman at the well. When Jesus is, has, this, has this conversation with, with her about how you enter into this life with God, because um, those people had very different ideas. Um, but Jesus says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, because that's what we're talking about, connecting with God, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the name of the Lord in Proverbs 10, Proverbs 18.10, is about God's nature. He is spirit. And he is our safety, our security, our joy. And all this comes from entering into him. So the question, of course, becomes for all of us, is the pastoral question at this point, who is your God? How do you enter into God's presence? How do you connect with God? Who is he? Is God your strong tower? Is he? That's good. Hopefully he's not your strong tower made with human hands. 
you see? Hopefully you understand that God is spirit. Now, whenever we talk about the name of the Lord, because you'll notice in, in 1810, the name of the Lord, whenever we talk about the name of the Lord, and you see this in the Old Testament, actually when you see it in the Bible, you should always be thinking back about the, 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 the point in time when, when Moses has this encounter with, with God at the burning bush. And I, we've come back to this again and again. I just came back to this a couple of weeks ago. This whole thing about the burning bush. And when Moses says, hey, you're sending me to these people in Egypt, my, the, my people in Egypt who are slaves and, and they're under the power of Pharaoh. Who, who am I going to say is sending me? And of course, God says, God, he sa- God says that, of course, he's going to send him. But Moses asks, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What is your name? And of course, God says, I am who I am. Um, and, and I told you before that that name, that's also not re- referred to as the Tetragomenon, this name, which we pronounce Yahweh, which we really don't know how to pronounce it, so the Jews we always pronounce it Adonai. The name of God is it, 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 it communicates it communicates that everything else depends upon Him. As I said so many times before, God is the one who cannot not exist. I don't know if you've heard that before, but you've probably heard it from me several times. God is the one who cannot not exist. And so when we talk about or make use of the name of the Lord, we're talking about the one who, of, of whom everyone else depends. Everyone else and everything else is a dependent thing or being. Okay? All this theology, all this understanding comes flying in in Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord. Oh, you mean the one that Moses encountered in Exodus 3? Oh, okay. And as Christians, we realize, oh, you mean... The Lord is a, is, is, is a spirit, right? So, this kind of thing. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, a migdal, in contrast to the way all the other peoples in the world think. Because all the other peoples in the world have a different kind of way of entering into the presence of what they perceive to be God or the divine. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And then notice, notice the second part of this verse. It's very important. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. We can't forget that. That it's the righteous man runs into it and is safe. Not the wicked man, but the righteous man runs into it and is safe. Um, can we also say wise man? Particularly when you think about the book of Proverbs. The one who is righteous is wise. The one who is wise is righteous. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The wise man runs into it and is safe. Now I hope that this helps because we're going to come to verse 11 and look at ver- look what verse 11 says. A rich man as opposed to a righteous man. There's implied contrast here. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. You can see why I've been talking about city today. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Now the word for rich, and I, I preached on riches and, and, and money and this kind of thing last week, but here you go. A rich, uh, the word for rich uh, is uh, risha, and the word for wealth is hon, as we talked about last week. That's your Hebrew lesson for the today. Not that you need one, okay? But um, these words are very precise, and it has to do with material wealth. You know, it has to do with cash. It has. To, if you were living in the ancient world, it probably had to do with how many you know camels you owned, how many sheep you owned, this kind of thing. Uh, today we think of it as, as cash, stocks and bonds, treasury securities, and as I said last week, real estate. Because Lucy and Charlie Brown, that whole thing, loves real estate. Didn't I say that? 
Yeah? So here we're dealing with very tangible things. A rich man's wealth. And you can actually, if you wanted to, you could put it into, the, since we are uh, living in the 21st century, you could say a rich woman's wealth too, right? Rich person's wealth is his or her strong city. Uh, that should right away, you know, that, I mean, the, the red light should be flashing. The, what is it, red flag? No, the red light. Light should be flashing. I'm confusing those metaphors, am I? Is it the red lights that flash? You know, like on the school bus? Is it that? Or is it just you're shaking your head like oh, our pastor is nuts? But anyway, um, sirens should be going off in your head, right? Rich man's wealth is his strong city. City is not always that. that it's, it's really a fallen, fallen human construct okay, that we're entering into here. Uh, I think we said, I think we know that Jesus said something about money, didn't he? Didn't say something about money? Uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, I always think of this. Okay, I really do. You remember I started the message with Charles Dickens, right? You know that. You already knew who, you know who that is. One of our favorite characters in all of literature and in film now, right? Scrooge. You know, uh, my favorite Scrooge, I don't know about you, there's so, I, I looked up Scrooge, you know, online and I haven't looked to see how many, like, Scrooges there were, you know, that films have been made. There's a lot of Scrooges out there. It's a very popular thing. So here's my favorite one. I always liked George C. Scott as Scrooge. I mean, that's just my personal favorite. I looked on this list of, like, top Scrooges. He was, like, number 16. Now, to me, I like he was like the best Scrooge of all. Oh well. Anyway, so uh, the point I'm making is that um, we're not supposed to be this man. Not at all. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. <sighs> Not like this man. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And notice the way it's described here. Like a high wall in his imagination. That is the description of all fallen human cultures. So you might be saying to yourself, well, you know, uh, uh, Paul, I don't really have an issue, you know, with money because I don't have any. Um, you know, it's not that big a deal to me because I struggle with that. And it's just like, hey, I just kind of live in day to day, I guess. But you know what? You probably have a strong city. I don't know what your strong city is. But we all do it, Right? We all do it. We, we wake up in the morning and we say, how am I going to make it through the day? And we think about our lives and we go, I've got to build something. I've got to construct something. I've got to put my energy into something to make myself feel worthwhile. I have to get a better job. Or I have to make a way, a, a better way with this person or that person. Perhaps I need to get in good with my boss or I've got I've to do something. I've got to use my energy. And you know what we do? We wear ourselves out. Trying to construct something that makes life 
like have purpose and like protects us and gives us joy somehow. And, and it's going to sound crazy, but I fall into this too. I fall into this stuff because sometimes, you know, look, I'll put it this, this way. We can, get in, we can even use sports as a way of doing it. We can connect so much in sports. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. We can connect so much in sports that it's like, if only my team wins, then, then I am going to be a somebody. And so the, 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 you know, whether it's, let's say it's the Seattle Seahawks, if the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, I don't understand it, but somehow I connect to it, and they become my strong city. Aren't I something special because the Seahawks just won the Super Bowl? It's a fallen human construct. You know what I'll go so far as to say? Sports, as much as I love them, and I do, and it can be an issue, sports are a fallen human construct. This could be about your money. Maybe you have built a strong city because you depend upon your wealth. Maybe you are that person. For many of us, and most of us, it's always something else. And here's the deal. There is only one construct that lasts. There's only one. It's what God builds in our lives, what God builds. Notice God is the actor. We're not the actor. Yeah, we take a part in saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. But God is the actor who builds something worthwhile in our lives that has purpose, that has meaning, that has an impact in the world. God is the one who does it. And I'm going to tell you this right now. God is the one who builds the church. Jesus has a church, does he not? Didn't he tell Peter in Matthew 16 that I will build my church? And, and we need to get away from thinking in terms of, well, the church is not really all that important as long as I just kind of like come occasionally or whatever. No, Jesus, Jesus, the New Testament teaches that we are to be a part of each other's lives. We are to love one another. We are to know one another. Let God build something amazing in you. Let God build something amazing in this church. Let God build his church, his people, his thing. Because a rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. But when God builds it, it will last. It will stay. It is eternal. It is solid. The new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, that's, a, that's God's construct. And it will not ever disappear. It is the one eternal thing that God is giving to this world because he is a part of it. I just started preaching. I got excited. But, but this, this, is, this is so important for us to understand because the world that we live in, and I guess if you get one thing out of this sermon, it's this. Don't fall prey to the way that our world thinks, to the systems that we so easily fall into. I know that many of you struggle with this because you think, if I can just do that one thing, if I can just do this other thing, if I, you know, if I can just be a better parent. Who says you're not a great parent? What does God say? Does God say you're a good parent? Is God pleased with you? See, that's the question. You see? Jesus died for a reason. When he died, he died so that our minds would get straight with him. We need to focus upon what he died for and what he rose for. And if you need healing in your life, you're only going to get it ultimately if you begin to think like him. Remember how I started, started the, the, this morning in the, the service so talking about understanding? We have to start thinking like God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we really want to um, be healthy people.
We so easily fall to prey to fallen human systems and human constructs, and we let those control us and take us and so forth. And we, we're always frustrated because they're designed to frustrate us. We can never be good enough. Even in our families, some of us have had perfectionistic fathers or mothers or whatever, and we can never be good enough, no matter what we do. That's a fallen way of thinking. It's not the way that you think. You look at us and you say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And you show us that at the cross. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to just set aside all these fallen ways of thinking, that our strong city would be Jesus Christ and our love for him. Because that's not about our imagination. That's about reality. So, Lord, help all of us to think like you. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.